Ah, that's how I feel right there. <laughs> Do this with me. We used to do this when we'd be stretching for like weight training in the middle of summer when you got like five hours of sleep. Oh, it's called the good morning stretch. Put up how many hours you slept last night? Can I see? One hour? Eight? Oh my gosh, four? Okay, up there. Seven, that's pretty good. Three? Anybody less than three? Okay. All right, I just need to know what I'm working with this morning. All right. Um, I wanted to start out by saying uh, just that I love you guys, that I'm, I'm so thankful to be, uh, to work here. Uh, a couple of things reminded me of that this week, and I just never want that to go unsaid. Definitely in my family with my wife and my kids and my parents, just that when I love them, just to tell them that I love them. And I love you guys, like, I look around this place and there's no place I'd rather be in. Some of you might be new and not, haven't experienced uh, this group at Hope, uh, but man, there are some fantastic people here. And I just wanted to say thank you uh, for letting me serve here and um, just really love you guys. Uh, so will you uh, pray with me as we uh, prepare to worship God through uh, reading and hearing his word this morning? God, we don't want it to go unsaid this morning that we love you. Uh, we care about you so much, God. But even our love for you, it pales in comparison to how much you love us. And God, this morning, we are so thankful for your love this morning. We are so thankful um, that you sent your son um, to live the life he lived, to die the death that he did, that he'd be raised to life, that we'd be able to experience a new life in Christ, in him, that we couldn't experience any other way. And God, this morning we want to say thank you and we love you. Hope Community Church loves you so much. Thanks for being our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are currently in the middle of a series, if maybe this is your first time or your first couple times, we're in the middle of a series. We're going through the book of John and we are in the second part of that. The first part was kind of that introduction, uh, the first 18 verses. But now we are on to the second part. Who do you say that I am? It culminates when Jesus turns and he just asks that point blank to his disciples out in chapter 12. Uh, but right now, as we get to that chapter 12, con continually, each Sunday we're asking, who is Jesus Christ? Who do we say that he is? Who does he reveal himself to be? Uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, Michael Deverell uh, started off John chapter 3 looking at Nicodemus, and a theme that he kept coming back to was what Jesus told Nicodemus. He cut, through, he cut through all his religious baloney, and he just said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. And he took time to flesh out what that means. What, it is, what does it mean to be born again? It has such a, a negative stereotype in so many circles, including circles that I was a part of at one time. I didn't want to be born again, but... But Jesus says to this religious leader, you must be born again. What does that mean? What does that look like? And um, if, if you weren't here, you can listen online. You can get a tape. You can, I'll take you out for coffee. We can talk about it. Uh, then last week, I continued that in uh, ch chapter 3, verses 9 through 15. And what I heard Jesus saying to all of us, including Nicodemus, including those religious leaders, is, will you accept my testimony? I am revealing certain things about myself. Will you accept my words? 
or not. To accept his words or not accept his words has huge implications. And we're continuing on in John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. You can read along with me. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. This section of scripture begins with arguably the most well-known verse in all of scripture, John 3.16. Most of you maybe as as young kids memorized this in a Sunday school. Even even I who just kind of semi-church background, very familiar. You know, they hold it up in the end zone. John 3.16. Wasn't there a wrestler that did that, but he changed it and used his name in there? Like Austin 3.16. It's like Whoa, all right, that's, that's big. But John 3.16, you, you just see it in the end zone. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. People, unchurched people, non-religious people are familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we can say it so quickly, it can roll off our tongue that we don't even take time to think about uh, what it's talking about. For God so loved, just even that word so, so loved the world. There was so much love that God had to give. So much that he wanted to give us. God so loved you and I, so loved the world. And I was talking to to Steve, and typically when John refers to the world, it's not a good thing. The world, as as John uses that word, it's, it's, it's the crud. It's the junk of the world. It's you and I and our selfishness. It says in Ephesians that, as for us, we were dead in our transgressions. That's, that's the world. And for God so loved that. God so loved us. It's, when, you, when you frame it like that, it's like, that's a crazy, different kind of love. A love I'm not used to. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. One and only son. It repeats in uh, verse 18. But one and only son. If you pause and think about that. The uniqueness of God's son the uniqueness of Jesus Christ. We looked at that uh, last week. I mentioned three, three or four things that Jesus, he's unique. And this, this is right here again saying he's one and only. There's no one like him. But if you see this, that, that God gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Belief, believing in God establishing a faith connection, a faith relationship with him, you will have eternal life. And that's not just quantity, length of time. We're talking quality of life, a life unlike you've ever experienced forever. And many of you are probably familiar with that verse. But you might not be too familiar with what comes after that. We, I'm actually going to challenge you right now. 
Okay, a couple famous movie lines. You might know the famous movie line, just like you might know John 3.16. I'm going to ask you what comes after it, all right? Are you ready for the test? Who's good with movie lines out there, all right? You ready? Okay, I see those hands back there. Here it comes, all right? Classic movie line from Apollo 13. Houston says, and then if you could, uh, give your oxygen tanks to sir. They're, they're talking, Houston is talking to, the, to Apollo 13, talking to the astronauts up there. The Apollo uh, guys respond, roger that. And then he goes and stirs the tanks. Hey, we've got a problem. What did you do? Nothing. I stirred the tanks. And then, you know, I can't recreate the sound effects, but things are happening. All right? You'll just have to take my word for that. And then Houston responds, ah, uh, this is Houston, ah, uh, say again, please. And then the famous line, Houston, we have a problem. Anybody got the next line? Anybody? Anybody next line? i would probably give you, a, not just a shiny dime, I'd probably give you a quarter maybe. <laughs> Anybody? This is, put it up there, we have a main bus B undervolt. You know, here's this great line. Houston, we have a problem, right? It's, the, it's what the trailer was built on. And then, like, the line right after, it's nothing. It's just like, what? What's a bus be undervolt anyways? It's like, no idea, no idea. All right, let's try again. A few good men. Colonel Jessup, you want answers? This is Lieutenant Caffey, Tom Cruise's character. He's the uh, lawyer. Um, I think I'm entitled to them. Here's Colonel Jessup. This is Jack Nicholson. You want answers? I want the truth! Can you just see him pointing the finger at him? And then Jack Nicholson responds with his classic line, You can't handle the truth! Right? Anybody got the next line? Class B. <laughs> no. Main bus B undervolt, not the next line. Right? He goes on in this monologue. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You, you, Lieutenant Weinberg, I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You have that luxury. Or you weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, Saves lives. Pretty powerful stuff, but we're just not that familiar with it. Okay, one more, one more. From Forrest Gump, all right? Forrest, okay, one of those just classic, well-known lines out there in culture. Forrest is sitting on a park bench with a, uh, a nurse, and he's got his box of chocolates there. He said, I could eat about a million and a half of these. My mom always said, life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Anybody? Next line. What is that? My feet hurt? It's close. What's that? You? Yes! I'm a little bit concerned about you, Zach. He got it. He nailed it. So Forrest is, eats his, he, he's eating his chocolates. He looks down at the nurse's shoes, and he says to her, those must be comfortable shoes. I'll bet you could walk all day in shoes like that and not feel a thing. I wish I had shoes like that. And then Dave had it there. The black nurse says, my feet hurt. <laughs> it's great. It's great. 
But the point is, it's like, there are some great lines out there, and we're not as, as often familiar with what comes right after them. And it's, perhaps it's the case that, that we have that with John 3.16. Here's this incredible verse, a verse that is quoted, literally can be quoted anywhere by anybody. Um, but what comes next? And I, I feel like I, my life has been so blessed by the verses that come right after John 3.16. That's, that's why I'm so excited uh, to be with you this morning to share these words. Look at John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, personally, I, I, I want to ask for you to think about that and let it land. To know that. That God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to condemn you. Hear that. that that's... That's God's word this morning. Hear that. No matter what a parent or a teacher or a religious leader said to try and shame you or condemn you, the main aim, the main purpose for God sending his son is to save you. To save you. God wanted to save you. Jesus Christ went to the cross willingly because he knew what would come of it. Now, with saving, with God saying, I'm, I'm sending my son to establish a relationship with you, as he does that, it begs the question, what, what about those who aren't on that path? Jesus came to save those Okay, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Christ. I accept that. What about those who don't? Let's look at verse uh, 18 here. Whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So God sent his Son to save the world, not to condemn the world. But then you get this tension that, that comes up in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. It's like, whoa, 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 Cor, back up here. I, I thought I just heard you say that he was sent to save the world, not condemn the world. But here it just says, but whoever does not believe him stands condemned already. Which one is it? The best analogy, I, maybe not the best analogy, the analogy that, that uh, one of the commentators suggested, and I, I appreciated it, is the Son. What is the chief goal of the sun? Not a rhetorical question. Give what? Give light? Thanks, sister-in-law. Give light, right? Sun's going to give light. That's the chief goal. That's the main aim of the sun. Give light. So you got light, sun's doing its job, okay? The sun's main job is not to cast a shadow. Now that comes... As, as the sun lights, casting a shadow comes with it. But that's not the main goal, main aim of the sun. The main aim of the sun, I'm here to let my light shine, all right? But yet, shadows are cast. Um, it's, it's this way with a lot of other things. I filled out an NCAA pool with the aim of winning. Okay, that's my aim. When I fill out the pool, I want to win. All right? There's, there's another effect that comes with that, and that's pulling out my hair. When one of my final four seeds loses in the first round, it's like, all right, 
That's one of those things that kind of comes with it. And, and what God is saying is that here's my son. He's shining his light. And as he shines his light, there are going to be shadows cast. It's not why he came. He didn't come to cast shadows. He came to be the light of the world. The true light that gives light to every man. His main goal is not to cast shadows. But yet, as he lets his light shine, that is just a natural effect. It's going to happen. There are going to be people who don't align their lives with Christ. And there will be condemnation. It says here, whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So what we have here is those who believe are the ones who are letting that that light of God shine. And those that stand condemned already, they're standing behind a big rock. And they're standing in the shadows. But there's a giant tension there. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Believing in God's one and only son is critical to John's line of thinking and this discourse. Continuing on, verse 19. This is the verdict. And verdict's the wrong word. This is a better way of saying that is verses 17 and 18. I'm going to explain that a little bit for you. This is how it came to be that that those... um, For those who believe in the Son are saved, and those who do not believe are are condemned. I'm going to explain that, how that judgment kind of works out. Okay, verse 19, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may may be seen plainly what has been done has been done through God. So this whole thing about those standing in the light and being saved, and those who are standing in the shadow over here and not believing are condemned. I'm going to explain that. This is a judgment. This is, this is actually because men love darkness. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness. Men loved standing in the shadows. Men loved not believing in God. It says, verse 9 and 10, the true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. This is chapter 1. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Love the darkness instead of the light. Continuing on in verse 20, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Hear this. This this verse was critical in my walk with Christ. Not in coming to Christ, in my actual walk with Christ. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. That's, that was me at one point in my life. Fearful that my deeds would be exposed. Fearful that people would know who I really am. It's why I wanted to preach this sermon. There have been moments in my life where I would tell half-truths to get people thinking one thing about me. In telling them that half-truth, I knew that they would think positively about me. But the reality was I was over here doing something totally different. And so whether you're a non-Christian or you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, think about that. Do you hate the light? 
Are you fearful of coming into the light, bringing things to the light? Of being exposed? And here's the grace. Here is grace 21. A grace that has changed my life. Excuse me. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. You might be here this morning standing in the shadow. I want to invite you to come out into the light this morning. Maybe for the first time ever. Maybe you're standing with half yourself in the shadow. I want to invite you to come into the light this morning. Whatever that might be. Maybe it's just, like for me, it started with telling the whole truth in one situation, one time. And then doing it again and trying to make it a pattern in my life. 1 John 1 shares these words. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. It's not deceiving others. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our lives. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Can you imagine that? This is true. That if, if you are a follower of Christ this morning, you have Jesus Christ, the righteous one, interceding on your behalf. Speaking to the Father, words on your behalf. We're about to move to a time of communion this morning. And uh, I want to challenge you to reflect on these words. God's word. The words of, of chapter 3 up to this point. Jesus saying, you must be born again. He said that to a religious leader, not to the Samaritan woman. Kind of the, the pagan that we're going to look, you know, the, the, the typical pagan that we're going to look, like, look at in a couple weeks. Jesus is saying this to a religious person. And by the outside eyes of the world, you are religious. You are in a church on a Sunday morning. You must be born again. Will you accept the testimony of Jesus this morning? And will you accept God's gift of love? Through the cross, we're, we're about to enter into Holy Week. It's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. Jesus died. God so loved the world that he gave you his son. He gave up his son for you.